And here we go. Good morning and welcome to episode 97 of the newly minted Hugo Award-nominated podcast, The Good Street Podcast. This morning, very happily, we are joined by multiple Hugo Award winner and also new, newly minted Hugo nominee, Liza Tromby. Good morning, Liza. Good afternoon, Jonathan. <laughs> and, and by my longtime partner in crime and newly minted Hugo nominee, Gary K. Wolf. Hello, Gary. And good evening, Jonathan. I can tell how early it is in the morning because your voice is, is very quiet and hushed. You sound like an, a, a nas- an NPR national public radio Actually, because you're not, you don't want to wake up the kids, do you? I, it's exactly true. It's just turned seven o'clock in the morning here. And in fact, I just woke up my, my eldest daughter. So I dare say I'm going to get some interesting looks from the household later once we've finished the podcast. <laughs> but we are here, of course, to celebrate, to discuss the nominees for the uh, seven, you know, for this year's Hugo Awards, which um, just came out with what I believe is a record nomination base of just over 1,100 nominees. Yeah. It was very impressive. They're definitely working the Internet uh side of getting the ballot out or the nominees the nominations out to people. Mm. And we should say congratulations to everyone who appears on the ballot and to um my actually my good friend Abby Sutherland pointed out that um congratulations are due to all the people who work very hard because a ballot simply isn't large enough. Absolutely to, true. Absolutely but still, we're here to talk about this battle. Well, so. I, mean, I mean, certainly, yes, the, um, our congratulations to what? Friends, colleagues, acquaintances, <laughs> arch nemeses. Um, <laughs> so tell me, you guys, maybe we'll start with lies, then I'll come back to you, Gary. When you first got a chance to see the full ballot just, what, a couple of hours ago, what was your first impression of it? Um, you know, the, I, I don't think that there were... Any huge surprises? I think that there were some things I was I'm more surprised by things that were not on there than by things that were on there, if that makes sense. Definitely. Um, but um, all in all, it's yeah, it is the Hugo ballot for the year. So, what do you think, Gary? I'm, I'm actually I have to I have to say one thing is that I'm very impressed that this and this is totally just going to jump into a category well down the list that this E Lily U is on there, because she's a high school student, yeah? No, she's not. We, she's not a high school student. No? She's in Princeton. Okay, well, she, she was, she, when I first heard of her, she was a high school student, I believe. Well, like, she was She was one of the, uh, Eliza, you met her as well as I did at ICTA this year. Um, right. She, she was a high, no, she was, she may have been a high school student, but she was a runner-up in the um, Dell Magazine contest that Rick Wilbur and Sheila Williams mm-hmm. um I think Run. she was while she was still a high school student. That's why I've got that in my head. Sorry. Exactly. Uh-huh. But I, I, she looks like a high school student to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, Gary, what lovely, did you think of the ballot? The ballot had some... All it takes to make me satisfied with the ballot is that there's at least one thing in every category that I'm happy about. Um, and I could... Uh, so I, th- I thought it was, as, as you did, an unsurprising ballot. I thought it was, uh, in some ways, a very popular ballot. And I have a, I have a theory which uh, you can tell me I'm completely wrong about this, and Cheryl will probably Cheryl Morgan will be able to tell me even more precisely why I'm wrong. But it strikes me that this is um, the, the the nominations come uh, from 
last year's attendees and this year's attendees. Am I correct? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So last year you have a very large um, American con uh, drawing a lot of people from California. This year you have a very large American con. And what I've seen over the last several years is that in years before or after there's been a convention in Canada or Australia or England, the pattern of nominations is different. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that the overwhelming number of nominators this year probably are Americans. That seems sounds like a reasonable supposition. Yeah. And and what's your conclusion from this? Do you think this is why it's a fairly traditional-looking ballot? I think it is. I, I, I think you can see um, the influence of a certain degree of old-line fandom in it. Uh, you can see the influence of a certain degree of people who read very best-selling books in it. This is not to... Um, criticize any of the particular books on the list, and some of the things that are on the list that I completely support, I mean, Joe Walton's, among others, is at the top of my list of things that I really love this year. Um, Things get on the ballot, but the general pattern of the ballot is, uh, it seems to me, more is is less surprising than it might have been had there been uh, a a different demographic among the voters. Fair enough, yeah. I mean, I think you can see that it is... I mean, it's an interesting ballot to me because it is a merging of traditional and the current online generation of nominees, nominators, I think. I think online nominations are influencing all awards enormously where they are being accepted. And I think if you look down this particular ballot, you can see many different works that are are, are very worthy nominees. But there are younger nominees who aren't widely known, who are appearing prominently, partly because of that online nomination process, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. And, I, and when I say that, I'm thinking like people like, say, Ken Liu, who's only been around for a couple of years, that was writing spectacularly well. And I'm thinking right. about people like you know, Lily Yu, who you just mentioned, Rachel Swirsky. You know, these are people who haven't been around a long time. Uh, Nancy Fulda is another great example. Yeah, uh, and I think also when you look across the, particularly in the fiction category, because one way or another, generally it's the fiction categories that determine how people respond to a ballot. Um, and if you look at it, you've got a mix of the old magazines, but not the same domination. I mean, Asimov's is probably the greatest source of any uh, fiction on the ballot, but it's not as dominant as it has been in some years. You know, there's some small press anthologies. There's some. Uh, online publications, but not dominant dominant either. And to me, the most surprising uh, short fiction nominee of all, not qualitatively, nothing like that, is Mira Grant's Countdown, just because it's from this Orbit short fiction line. Because, and I could be wrong, I think it's the first work ever marketed as a standalone e-book by a major publisher ever to be nominated for a major award. Mm -hmm. We definitely had the how how do we format this standalone novella that is not that is still considered a short because we I mean we have a different way that we format and print something that's printed by itself versus something that is short fiction but um, we definitely we haven't had that before yeah so I think you're right it is the first and I I don't think it's a particularly surprising novel slate Uh, it balances between traditional and newer work I mean Mira Grant's very very popular George Martin's book is the, probably the best-selling genre book in the country this year. Right. Um, 
I join you, Gary, in loving and adoring the Joe Walton book. If I could pick any of the novels to win, possibly it would be the one. Um, I did come up with a bit of trivia, though. Mm. I think there's a first on this best novel ballot. I think this is the first time an author and that author's PA have both been up for the best novel in, at the Hugo Awards. An author and Which is this? James Corey, Daniel mm. Abraham, and Ty Frank. Ty Frank works yeah. for George Martin. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so there might be some tense moments in the office, I guess. <laughs> Once all yeah, the partying dies down. The, the other interesting thing about the ballot, and it's not the first time this has happened, is that there are really only two science fiction novels on the um, um, best novel ballot. And Leviathan Wakes is uh, is a fairly traditional one, and Embassy Town is, it, well, it's giant medieval. Um, so we don't, traditional. we're never supposed to get on the well, actually, you know, you, you just talk about traditional. I mean, I've read uh, three of the books on, on the ballot. I've not read the Mira Grant or the George Martin. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Embassy Town is a Bob Silverberg novel, in a way. And the Corey could be, um, you know, a, a Niven and Pornell, big fat kind of uh, SF novel. So, so they both resonate with different parts of the, the science fiction community strongly. And Yevo mm-hmm. is, as was pointed out by Christopher Priest recently, a very popular award candidate for, for a very good reason. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, I think all of us could have picked somebody else to be on there, but I can't say there's something I'd necessarily throw off. And the problem is, no. if, I, if, if you were to go to the ones I would throw off, I would have to let you throw off something that I want on there. Right. Um, I'm not talking about throwing things off. I'm talking about people 20 year, 30 years ago, 20 years ago probably, Many people at the science fiction convention uh, going to a Worldcon would have been appalled that three fifths, three out of five nominees are fantasy novels. Uh, yeah, fantasy but, is, yes, but they expressly changed their rules, Gary. Well, I know they changed. I, I, I know that, uh, but there is, a, it seems to me, more of a specific schism between science fiction and fantasy uh, throughout the ballot than I've seen before. I should tell you what's not there, and I don't know how you feel about this, Liza, whether it matches your. your um observation as well. In the fiction categories, there's not so much of the much-vaunted genre blending that we hear keep talking about. You know, the, the genres are merging, we're playing around with the genre toolkit, but with, with the stuff that's on this ballot, by and large, it's either science fiction or it's fantasy. Right. No, I, I think you're you're probably right about that. It's um, It doesn't seem like there's a lot that's riding the fringe the way it might have been before. Oh, I have another, a four-year-old again. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's okay. No, 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 no. Are you okay? Yeah. So all no. of all, I mean, you know, like I say, in the fiction categories, I could pick a couple of things. I mean, two or three things that I'd be delighted to see win. I think the novella category is very strong. Um, it has mm-hmm. certainly, for my money, well, four of the six novellas there would make very worthy winners. And I think if you can say that, then it's a good a good ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, very happy. Sorry, yeah? Go ahead. No, no, this, is, this is where at least I will defer to you because I know you've read an enormous amount of short fiction this year. Right. Well, and I know that Silently and Very Fast was very popular with our reviewers. I didn't, I didn't actually read it myself, but we had, I think, two, at least two really good reviews of it. Cat um, Valenti for me is a really interesting case because she... Her style varies, and sometimes her prose can be quite clotted, is the best way I would describe it. And I really dislike an element of her work, 
but some of it is fantastic, just spectacularly good stuff. And she had two great stories out this year. Uh, this one and one, uh, White Lines on a Green Field, that was over at Subterranean. Mm-hmm. And I think they just show the breadth of her work. And so I'm unsurprised to see her here. I would be unsurprised to see her win. Though from a strictly personal point of view, I love the Kids Johnson story a great deal. She's she's definitely been having a lot of talk about this story. I think she's gotten some attention for it in a nice way. So, yeah. Um, that's good for her because she's certainly been hanging out in the fringes of winning these awards for a long time. and it's. Uh, oh, I think her time is here. I think when we see the Locust Awards ballots come out in, uh, what is it, about a month, Liza? Yeah. And, and then uh, when the World Fantasy Award comes out later on and this sort of thing. I think you'll see Cat um, Valenti's name all over it. I expect, I half expected to see Deathless on this list, right. which was a great novel um, recommended to me by uh, some friends. Uh, how many times does Valenti appear on here? Is it just that three. one? Uh, twice, three. No, twice. She's on here twice, I believe, because she is up for the novella and she is part of the uh, fan cast category as one member of the SF Squee cast. So. Right. But she's not the most nominated person. That obviously is um, Myra Hart slash Renan McGuire. Chris Garcia's got three, doesn't he? Who? And Chris Garcia. Yes, he does. And actually, I have to tell you, somebody, uh, I was talking to someone just before we started recording, and they were saying, how come this guy's up for the best, your short, was the best, uh, dramatic presentation? Short form, yeah. And you're going, if you were in the audience, you can understand why. It was such a genuine thing. And for those of you who listen to the podcast who didn't see it and haven't been on YouTube, go look on YouTube and have a look. Um, Chris Garcia's heartfelt mm-hmm. uh, presenta- uh, acceptance last year was surely a highlight of the Hugo Awards in uh, 2011. I have to say I might personally put my vote elsewhere for Best Dramatic Presentation Short Form just because... I don't think it was a particularly deliberate performance on behalf of Chris. I think yeah. it's a very spontaneous reaction rather than a, a dramatic presentation per se. Um, but I'd be stunned if he doesn't take away the fanzine award. Quite stunned after that. I think everybody will vote for him just to see if he'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> he does it too many times, he'll have a heart attack. Oh. I was watching him. So. <laughs> and I have to say, very happy with the short form, the short story ballot in many ways. Um, the Fulda, the Lou, and the U stories all got great write-ups. There were other stories I would pick for the ballot, but that's always the case. Right. Um, so, you know, that, that came out well. What about the yeah. novelette category? You skipped novelette. I didn't mean to. Okay. Uh, there's a couple of my fa- favorites on the list. Of course, personally, from I just have to throw out my congratulations to Rachel Swirsky for her Eclipse 4 story. Yes, congratulations uh, to you for selecting it. And I have to say, if you haven't read it and you want to, I believe Eclipse 4 will be in the Hugo packet this year. Oh, are you going to put the whole thing in? I believe we're going to put the whole book in. All right. So there'll be a chance for people to, to check it out, as they say. Um, but no, I mean, I think the Jeff Ryman story is spectacular. I really enjoyed the Cornell story. The Charlie Anders story is a very good story. Um, yeah, I think... Charlie Jane's been just getting more and more attention for her writing, which is fabulous. Mm. Yeah, well, I think until just recently, her work with io9 has overshadowed her fiction reputation. You've been right. more and more aware of her in that context. But, well, and Paul yeah. Cornell in the same way, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and yet she's had a real um, 
she's really risen, you know, raised her profile with a series of very good stories, particularly for Tor, where this one comes from. And of course, with Paul, the interesting thing is he's had several goes launching a prose career in um, parallel to his comics and you know, mm-hmm. screenplay writing uh, career. Right. Uh, and I think th- you know th- these are the stories that the Copenhagen interpretation relates to. It's one of three, I think. Um, have been very well received, and he now has a big novel coming out later this year, which hopefully we'll see him make that launch over much as per our dear friend Neil did at one point in the in the past. So yes, all in all, I mean a very very solid um, fiction list. I can see where the online chorus will perhaps find some fault, but by and large, I think we can only hail them all. Mm. And then we come on to best related work, which is really interesting because we talked about on this podcast. Uh-huh. Encyclopedia of Science Fiction is there. Right. Which I'm, in many ways, quite delighted about. Um, yeah, I have... and actually, I've heard from several um, sources that if that this might be the only time that it is actually sort of approved as a best-related work because of how that works in the, the nominations. Yes. That this might be sort of the one time that it's actually... Yeah. Because, I mean, one of the, as we talked about on the podcast... Uh, it's uh, by the by, by John Clute and Graham Slights and, and David and Peter's own accounts. It's not going to be done until this October. Um, right. But if it's but the third edition is getting the award now, and in October all it will be is a completed third edition. So in a sense that would be giving a second Hugo to the same book, which I'm pretty sure is against the rules. Yeah, in fact I believe Cheryl, um, her indoors our Cheryl the Hugo expert. She right. made it quite clear that uh, the interpretation tends to be that if it's a you know something like a website where it's getting added to, once mm-hmm. it, once you, you you can be eligible for the initial establishment of it. So for, this is was my problem with the Locus Awards database. I was suggesting that if the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction was eligible, the Locus Awards database should be eligible because Mark's done such an incredible job there. Mm-hmm. And yet. Um, Apparently, because it's old enough and wasn't nominated when it was first established, then it's it's ineligible, which is unfortunate. But this right. means this is it's big chance. This is the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction. It's up. I know that I, I'm much. Well, I know Peter Nichols has been working on it, but I know our Locus colleague Graham Slate right. and John Clute and Dave Langford have been working for five years on this. There is as they mm-hmm. keep selling like an extra an, an extra somewhere between six and seven hundred million words in it. Um, and, you know, enough to sort of fell forests. And it is, let, let's face it, at least in my lifetime, the definitive reference work in the science fiction field. There's no nothing comparable to it. No, uh, and I think there's doubt that the, 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 there's no arguing that just looking at the simple increase in in wordage of, of the current version, which is up compared to the second yeah. edition, it is right. the, it's the most work that has ever gone into a best-related book for any uh, for anything in the history of Hugo's, I'm sure. Oh, how many? So, do you know how many words they're up to? Do they have some ridiculous? I think it actually is like three or four million words. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's at least twice. It's more than twice what the last, what the second edition was, even now. Yeah. So it's a, it's a staggering amount of work and a staggering achievement. Um, and I have articles to write for. Oh, hi, John. <laughs> yes, I'm supposed <laughs> to have written one as well, actually. So <laughs> this is your 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 overdue reminder. Um, looking down the rest of the related work ballot, I have to say I've not read. The other five, though I've seen the Steampunk Bible, which is an impressive-looking book. And mm. the Shannon's is an album. Is it? Oh, that's interesting. Oh yes, it's it's uh, Filking. 
isn't yeah. it? Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Well, that's off my personal radar, but um, yeah. obviously very popular, and hey, it's interesting to... It, 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 this is interesting. Fans, and particularly Worldcon business meeting fans, love to quibble and argue over how things are laid out and put in and are up against one another. And it's interesting to see how unlike these things are. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got a definitive reference website. You've got a book about Jar Jar Binks, I guess. You've got a uh, album of filk songs. You've got a a coffee table book about steampunk. And you've got whatever the Brandon Sanderson uh, writing excuses thing is. I don't know what it is. I've not seen it before. Uh, It's a a website, I think. Yeah, Um, about. This category, and this has happened before. I mean, um, I, I know that, for example, John Clute was up for one of his collections of reviews against some um, some illustrated something of Neil Gaiman's, which was not really nonfiction. I mean, this category could easily be renamed "best things that have nothing in common with each other." Yeah, because it's <laughs> absolutely right. It's art books, it's filking books, it's fan books, it's reference books, it's critical books. It, it's, um, it's, it's other. It is, it is other. a catch-all category, isn't it? Best everything else. Well, but I think I do think it's a really important thing to recognize that there are other parts of the field that are happening that aren't sure, fiction sure, because sure. they mm. are a big part of what keeps it interesting and keeps it all happening because yeah. not everyone is out there writing fiction and the people that are re- writing fiction are doing other things equally entertaining yeah. and interesting that aren't fiction, so... Yeah. And then, yeah. and then we come to best graphic story, which of course is interesting, because this is a category that has a sunset clause, and I believe, and I could be wrong. Hello, Cheryl. Uh, this may be its last year unless the sunset clause is changed. Uh, so you know, this this is also the first year that the uh, folios have uh, pulled themselves out for their Agatha Heterodyne series. Mm. Which means that the perpetual runner-up schlock mercenary is now, I guess, in the front seat. Mm-hmm. Speaking strictly personally, it's also the first year because because I, I bought an iPad. It is, mm-hmm. a, it is the first year I've bothered reading comics, so I've actually mm-hmm. read some of these and have an actual functioning opinion. Ah, oh, wow! <laughs> I know. How's that? And the Mike Carey, uh, in fact, three of the the uh, nominees that I'm familiar with, the Mike Carey, the Joe Hill, and the Bill Willingham. Uh, are all very good. I mean, very, very good pieces. Probably... Hmm? Mike Carey is an urban fantasy author also. Is that the same Mike Carey? Yes, it is the same guy. And this is a, it's a fantastic series, uh, The Unwritten, about a the, the, the son of a fantasy writer who finds himself, I think, in the fantasy world. I read the first chunk of it, not this volume, but uh, the one before it. I mean, there are other things I nominated for the year that I'm disappointed didn't make it. Fables is great. They do these little sta- standalone story arcs. I think mm. it probably would have resonated more for me if I'd read the other 14 volumes. <laughs> there's, a, there's a possibility there. <laughs> and I, I, I think, you know, if we, if we were to listen to um, my good friend Paul Cornell, with whom I have an outstanding Hugo bet that I intend to work out how to collect on. You're going to collect now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you remember what that book was? No, I think that's not the point. I'm not going to say I, what the next... There, there was a book which Paul in Denver... No, in Reno, bet, bet me would be on the final ballot and, in fact, would win. And all mm. I will say is that it's notable by its absence, Paul, if you're listening. <laughs> and we need to work out something suitable. But, but, we should, uh, but it, have you on the ballot than that? 
<laughs> Pulls on the ballot. Well, must be happy. But no, the, no, only, it, the only story yes. I'd even looked at was was the uh, Joe Hill, which I thought the parts of it I looked at looked like it was terrific. But I mm. I just can't keep up with that. So no, no, it's generally been outside those scores. I've got to say I don't have much comment on the dramatic presentation categories. I don't know if you guys do. My, not particularly. My, I haven't seen enough movies or TV shows, honestly, in a long time to probably comment on either of them. Well, I've certainly seen everything in the dramatic presentation category. I, I'd be a bit shocked if Game of Thrones don't win. Yeah. Um, just because, for various reasons, though, Source Code is probably the best piece of science fiction there. And Hugo is spectacular. I mean, there's nothing there I'd really... In fact, to me, the worst thing there is probably the Harry Potter film. So, you know... Mm. Uh, I have to say, the, for short form, I've seen three, four of the five nominees. If Neil Gaiman doesn't take home a Hugo, I will be quite shocked. <laughs> I would be astonished at that. Uh, although, one, although I haven't seen it, the American sitcom community. Yeah, Marianne uh, watches it, yeah. Uh, called Remedial Chaos there. I, I, if I wish I'd seen it, though, I'm very curious about what that is. I'll try to look it up online. Yeah, yeah. And then we come to the editor long form. Mm-hmm. And lots of friends here, and at least one, in fact, two very happy surprises on this ballot, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and by surprises, I don't think Betsy Walheim from Door has ever been nominated before. Really? I'm pretty sure really? that I could be wrong. Yeah, I think this may be her first time. Uh, though I'm now going to probably make myself look like an idiot as everybody goes and checks and goes, nah, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but what's, what I do think is great about that and why I think it's a really important nomination is because... There was a point when I was talking to people about where um, the field was going where Dole was seen as a very traditional publisher. They picked a, published a very specific kind of science fiction, a very specific kind right. of fantasy, right in the middle of the genre. Now, all of a sudden, they're putting out books like Akata, which by Nadia Okorafor, and they're putting right. out books like Saladin Ahmed's debut, which came out earlier this year. They're really expanding and growing and changing, and that's exciting, and I think that that's what's recognized here. Uh, similarly, um, it's interesting to see Anne Grohl on the ballot. She is, of course, for those who don't follow such things, uh, George Martin's editor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can only assume well, just, that she has come onto the ballot as, as a result of that. And well, sort of no, that there were that she put out a ton of books last year, so yeah, I think yeah. it'd be a safe yeah. bet actually. But uh, that is a huge amount of work in and of itself, probably. So. <laughs> Because so many Hugo voters, and I don't know what the Hugo voting patterns have been for this category in the past, and I'm sure somebody is doing this somewhere on, uh, on, on the web, but wouldn't it be helpful to list some sample titles from each of these editors? Because for the benefit of, of, of fans and readers who simply don't know who edits which books. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, I at one point suggested and was sort of smacked down for it that they should link the best editor long form directly with the best novel ballot. Um, just and interestingly, I mean, I mean, like Patrick Nelson Hayden is the editor for, among others, Betsy mm-hmm. Walt. Uh, well, sorry, uh, Anne Grohl is the editor for A Dance with Dragons. You know, so um, there is some some cross some linking up of those. Though I mm. don't know that anything that Liz worked on or that Lou worked on actually anything. And of course, I'm thrilled to see Lou on the ballot, who's a dear friend of all of ours, and who right. was surely the most striking nominee last year. Um, in his Lou Manchu outfit um, yeah. at the Hugo's, <laughs> and it'll be interesting to see if he shows up wearing the same outfit this year, or if he's even going to be there, of course. Which is fine. And then, of course, there's the Best Editor Short Form category, which 
I can only congratulate my fellow nominees in and kind of skip over unless you guys have anything to say on it. I don't know. Is there any... Uh, Liza, do you see any surprises here? No. No, I mean, it's 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 always changing, it seems like. But um, I think it's good that Neil Clark got on there for his... Uh, for the online magazine, actually. I think that's a good thing, because I'm assuming that... Jo- I mean, John Joseph Adams does, but he also does the anthologies and probably yeah. came in because of that. And... Um, I don't know if there have been have there been a lot of online short form editors nominated previously. Not many, no. I mean, one of the perpetual um, people who you'd expect to be there maybe is Bill Schaefer, who does a great job for Subterranean. Uh, the right. edit the editors for Tor dot com actually are, show up in the editor long form category anyway. I mean, like Liz right. Karinska, I think, is the fiction editor for. Tor.com, along with Patrick Nielsen Hayden, so they're actually there. Um, this obviously links up to the semi-prosine category because Clark's World, I'm pretty sure, withdrew itself from that category. And yeah. now Nielsen, this category, which is great. And I mean, this is his first nomination in the, in the category. It's obviously Stan's, I think it's his 33rd consecutive nomination, maybe his 34th. Um, this sort of continues. It's the, definitely a trend of sort of fresh blood on the ballot, and mm. I think that. Well, I think that's that, a good thing. I, but, but I'm wondering, do people? When you were talking about linking editors with, uh, with novels, with best novel nominees, uh, that that strikes me as something that also is looking interesting in, in terms of looking at the short fiction categories. For example, uh, fantasy and science fiction has nominees in all three short fiction categories, mm-hmm. uh, but not a nomination for Gordon. Well, remember how they how the nominations work for the Hugos. If I recall it correctly, not not whilst the whilst the ballot is a preferential ballot, it's a simple first past the post system Ooh. for nominees. <laughs> Any one of these people until they release the, the figures at um, at World after, Club, after the Hugos, you won't yeah. actually know whether you know, Gardner or Gordon or Ellen Datlow missed out by a vote. Right. Mm-hmm. You know that happened. Ellen, so, Ellen won in 2010. She she did yes, and then Sheila and then won last year. year. Right. That was her first. So, you know, Sheila I mean, it's, it's good. That there's rotation. I think that fresh blood is good, and even if there are people that, you know, Gardner is a, of course an excellent editor and, and always has been, but you know, I think that mixing it up makes it a more interesting balance. So. It does indeed. Then Best Professional oh, Artist, which is probably... Did I lose you? No, no, we're here. But the Best Professional Artist, uh, which, of course, Dan DeSantis, Bob Eggleton, Michael Comark, Stefan Martinier, Jean Picaccio. Um, congratulations to all of them. A number of whom are friends I of ours. I had never heard of Michael Comark. Oh, he's been making a name with himself. He's done a bunch of... He's a fantasy sort of sorcery artist at times. He's done work for uh, Nightshade, for Tor, for some other places. He's, he's very good. Very deserving nomination. I don't know if it's his first, but I think it is. Uh, the other four that I'm, I'm familiar with... Of course, this ties in with, neatly, I have to say, the uh, current issue of Locus, <laughs> which has a artist, prof- artist profile section in, in it, or it's a special art issue. Um, and these are like all guys. Right, that's true. Well, you know, it's there. When we were doing, when we were picking people to be in the art issue, we were. It, it it's an astonishingly unbalanced area, 
as far as gender goes. But um, it's it's not even that there are, you know, equal numbers of women quietly toiling, toiling in obscurity. There just simply aren't as many women. And there are women that are great and are wonderful out there and, and um, should be recognized, but there are not as many. So yeah. it's one of those tricky yeah. things. But, it, you know, mm-hmm. it is a very male category. <laughs> And yes, and then best semi prosine your slash our category. Mm. And I, I, you know, I'm interesting because I, I guess I'll, I'll stick my foot in, in it a little bit here by saying a category that at one point was very open to criticism for having a very staid, fixed body of nominees, and mm. has been subject to several generations of attempts to freshen and change. Mm. And now, in fairness, actually is a source of lots of new nominations. I mean, obviously, this time out, Locus and the, and the New York Review of Science Fiction are regular nominees. They've been not nominated often. Lightspeed is, would be on its first nomination or its second. I think it's its first. Uh, Interzone has been up a few times and has won a long time in the past, but not with this team. And this is Apex Magazine's first. So, I mean, yeah. a, a really nice, fresh set of changes. And obviously, with we, we assume that we don't know Clark's World probably declining the nomination this year. Right. Because they said they well, would. Well, they said that yeah. they would. Yeah. yeah. The, point, the point you're making, Jonathan, is that it's, been, it's been a very interesting category for several years now. Yes. I think it is that. I think it's ve- it's a very viable category without any changes to it, really, um, and could be left as it is quite happily to continue into the future. I wouldn't begin to guess who might win it, though I confess to a absolutely blind prejudice. <laughs> wow. You know, uh, and obviously that's in favor of the New York Review of Science Fiction. Uh, oh, <laughs> no. For Best Fanzine, I, I have to say the only thing I've read there out of that lot is The Drink Tank and SF Signal. How is the SF Signal there? I read File 770 a bit. They've got, they do good news. They yeah, I look at that page. Yeah. And, I, and so that's a happy thing. And then we come to the uh, One Soft category, which I do believe. There was a locus connection to the um, to these one-off categories because the first website ever to win a Hugo was the locus website when it was a one-shot years ago. That's true. As Mark won the uh, best. I mean, before websites were a, a standard part of the field, there was that yes. category a year. Yeah. And so this is one. Actually, interestingly, Gary, you, you said at the beginning of the uh, discussion that this is a very American ballot. This is one of the least American categories. It absolutely is. I'm, so, I'm, I'm impressed with this category, I have to admit. Well, hang on. Before you get too impressed, in, in the interests of, you know, full declaration, you and I are on this ballot for the Crude Street, for this very podcast. Yeah, and you're not even an American. I'm not even an American, <laughs> no. And Crude Street's not even in America. And, and Galactic Suburbia is not a, not America. Oh, congratulations to Tansy and Alex and, and, yeah, and Lisa, yay. And uh, so last year, this was wrapped into fanzine. Well, it, not, so much, not, not so much wrapped as there was no distinction, but I think this is a, a byproduct of the discussion. One Starship Sofa won in Melbourne in 2010 for, mm-hmm. best, for best fanzine. I think there was some feeling that they didn't belong in that category. Now, I could, I personally, I think they actually really do belong in that category, but that's just, you know, um, I'm happy to see the fan cast category. I think it's a great cap, category. Um, well, and each of the, problem of people who do 
people who view fanzines. I mean, let's face it, fanzine is a tradition which goes back to the 1930s in science fiction. Yes. And, um, and there, there are still fanzines. And I'm, I'm sure there was some resentment over the idea that a podcast could, yeah, of uh, course. could win a category, which was an ancient category. Yes. And so now there's this separate category and all, I mean, congratulations to all of our fellow nominees, to our friends at SF Squeakast, particularly Paul Cornell, who's a good friend of ours, and to John mm-hmm. Donardo and the SF Signal team. John's a, a, a good friend of ours as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Galactic Suburbia people are pals and have been for ages. And, of course, Tony at Starship Sofa, sitting there over in the UK all by himself, who in 2010 put out one of the great interviews in the, of the last five years in science fiction, when he had John, uh, when he had uh, Jack Vance and Fred Paul on together, arguing mm. about things, which was a fantastic thing. So, all in all, I've got no idea what you're going to do, Gary, because, of course, of the three of us, I'm the one who shan't be in attendance this year. Mm. Elise is... Oh, really? Well, I'm not going to be... At, uh, you're not going to be in Chicago. Oh, so, that's true. So you're going to have to polish up your, your, your tuxedo and <laughs> represent. I don't have to go to dinner with Howard, do I? That's world fantasy. <laughs> and yes... <laughs> okay. and, 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 you're right. <laughs> I have a tux. I'm a mile from the hotel. I may have a party. Anybody who's listening to the podcast can come to my party. <laughs> That's danger. We've had up to a thousand people listen to this podcast at times, Gary. I'm not telling them where or when it is. <laughs> I don't have much to say about the, the next two categories just because I'm unfamiliar with the work, but I will say Chris Garcia's fabulously popular. And I think Jim Hines must be up for his blog, actually, now that I think about it. Mm. Isn't that right? Isn't he? He's yes, I do know. So he may. He's a, a, an interesting inclusion. So yeah. And Stephen Silver is a is a, a good friend. friend. Yes. Very good friend. He's local. Uh, he's he's almost a perpetual nominee in this category. Right. Um, yep. And then we come to the Campbell. And I mean, you were saying earlier about young people, but I remember being in Denver several years ago, 2008, and there was a young mm-hmm. woman sharing. A room with our Amelia Beamer, currently located here in Perth somewhere. Stina Light. Stina Light. She had this first mm. book. She was all bumping up and down, jumping up and down because she had galleys, and she was thrilled. And here she's on the Campbell ballot, which is phenomenal. Right. No, it's actually. I think the Campbell is the Campbell is always a really strong. It feels like it's always a strong list where you sort of are rooting for too many people to actually. Sorry for the Australian version of that word, you know, <laughs> hoping for too many of the people to um, actually win. Because there are several people on this ballot that I would love to see win. I mean, Karen Lord is wonderful mm. and a fabulous writer, and um, Stina Lake, like you said, and, and Mer Lafferty is just amazing how much stuff she seems to get done. So um, I'm not as familiar when, with that, but yeah. When I, when I look at the Camel Ballad, one of the things I realize is. It's what, three years of eligibility? True. Two years. Mm-hmm. That makes utter sense to me because when you're looking at, I mean, Karen Lord, for example, has, I don't know if her next novel will be out in time. No. For next year's consideration, probably not. Lily Yu uh, basically has, has gained a reputation on one story. I think that two years is probably almost a minimum uh, as to what you ought to permit people to look at uh, with this kind of thing. Because what, right. what constitutes a new writer? Is a new writer one novel? One story, or is a new writer somebody who follows up on that with a second novel or a story? Yeah. Well, I, I don't Steve know. Like, Steve, 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 Steve has two novels out now. Just out, just out, yes. Yeah. Whereas, Lily, 
I think Lily Yu has had three or maybe four short stories published. Mm-hmm. I know that The Cartographer and the Wasps is maybe her second, third story. So mm-hmm. she's right at the very, very, very beginning of her career. Um, and obviously she's made a huge impact with that story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, which, which of course I think came from Clark's work, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yes. But overall, mm-hmm. I think a, a good ballot. I mean, uh, I take it that obviously you both will be dressing up on the night and, yep. sh- and showing up ready to, you know, you know with, with sort of acceptance speeches in your respective pockets, purses, or wherever you keep such things, and all prepared for partying and champagne and taking your photographs. Well, we'll miss having you there. Are you totally, you're totally confirmed not going at this point? It's 99%, I have to say. Without yeah. going into excessive detail, many, many, many nice publisher people didn't pay me yet. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it thanks. tends to cost about $5,000 to go to Chicago for Worldcon. Yeah. So um, I think, yeah, it's almost certainly not. And I had to make the choice between that and um, going to Toronto for World Fantasy. And... Just too many of my favorite people show up to Toronto to make me to have me willing to sort of give that up. It's true, and, and World Fantasy is a, is its own special convention. So it is, it is. I mean, I think this. I've no idea what the convention will be like. I hope it's a, it's a great night. It's going to be a fun night for you guys. I mean, Skulls is the Toastmaster, so that should make it amusing. John is delightful. John went to the University of Chicago, as did I, so he'll be back in his hometown in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know who else is, is going to be here, but it's a great hotel. It's a, it's a really nice hotel for a convention. Unlike some conventions for people who haven't signed up for Worldcon yet, <laughs> you're right at the at the edge of Michigan Avenue. You're on the Chicago River. If you walk north on Michigan Avenue, you're walking through the most one of the most gorgeous shopping districts in the states. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of that walk is my apartment, which <laughs> <laughs> you just invited us all to, and and now you're narrowing down the location. I know. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, if everybody would like to email me uh, pr- privately, I'm sure I could get you a direct address. In fact, I can probably get that on Google Maps quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll have everyone over to stay, right, Gary? Oh, sure. Everybody can stay here. Absolutely. I've had. <laughs> it, 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 it helps if you're under eight years old, but I've had lots of people stay here overnight. <laughs> uh, but in, in, in terms of the award season, no, let me think. Um, we're looking at the um, Hugo's in August. Before that, we will have, uh, first of all, I guess we'll have the uh, Tip Tree Award will be at the end of May. Yep. Uh, the Locus Awards will be in June, am I correct? Yes. Um, yeah, June, June 16th. June 16th. June 16th. And that will be in Seattle as usual. Yep. And, of course, the Philip K. Dick Award winners were announced this morning, but somewhat overwhelmed by the Hugo ballot coming out. Yeah. I didn't see that. Oh. Simon Morden from uh, Orbit won for his the Samuel Petrovich trilogy, with a citation to the Company Man by Robert Jackson ben, uh, Bennett, also from Orbit. So yeah, hmm. H- not hats off to them. Yeah, they. I mean, they and actually on this ballot they've done certainly well enough in the uh, novel and novella category. So yes, indeed. So I think yeah. all in all a a good ballot. It'll be interesting to see how it syncs up with. The Locus Awards, we always like to feel like the Locus Awards are a good predictor of the Hugo. At one point, that used to be kind of, you know, like, influ- have the recommended reading list, which comes out in February, sort of show people what was out there, and then, you know, sort of have the awards in June as a little sort of precursor. We usually do all right. Usually we the people that, uh, I mean, at least a good proportion of people that win the Locus Award show up. 
as yeah. if you go there. So yeah, yeah, and I can see it's, a few. Things. Okay. It's the same. It's, it feels like it's a very similar voting group. Mm, I think that's true. Well, on that, I guess the main thing I'd say is, and I, I don't know whether you want to try, I suspect you would join me. If you love the field, if you're interested in the Hugo ballot, vote. The, the voter packet, I think, comes out in two or three days, mm. uh, maybe four days, something like that. I, I certainly know that, I don't know if you guys have, but I've provided a, uh, stuff for the, for the Hugo packet on behalf of the Good Street podcast and on my own behalf. And I yep. assume you will have for, for Locus. For Locus, we have a digital issue there. And I, the, honestly, the Hugo packet, do we, who came up, was that Kate Kligman that I think so, I've got a funny feeling Scalzi may have either been intimately involved with suggesting it or running it or something originally, and then Kate Kligman and her such, people took over. And It is such a, an excellent idea, and it just gives people a good chance to just familiarize, because people will vote for what they have read whether they, you know, have read the whole ballot or not. And it just gives people a good chance to familiarize themselves with everything and, and gets it out there. And such a, whoever came up with that, and I think it was Kate Kligman at least, who got it got, got it out the mm, door. Very much. Oh, yes, she's a huge force it, in it. It's a really fantastic contribution. So, so but I think we would all uh, recommend that, you know, sort of if you're interested, have a look at the uh, the Hugo packet. Uh, I, I Whilst I'm not going to be in... Um, in Chicago myself, I did buy a supporting membership just so I could vote. Not particularly yeah, concerned about the Hugo Packet. I don't know how they're going to get the entire Encyclopedia of Science Fiction into the Hugo Packet. Um, <laughs> but it's going to be funny it's to see it's how online. They're... It's there. Well, there <laughs> no. be a link, right? Link. No, you've got to get the whole thing in, or it doesn't count. <laughs> mm. But um, I hope there will be billions and billions of people voting, and that come late August, early September, September the 2nd. So maybe around then we'll, we'll hook up on a podcast and be able to toast one another with champagne to a well, successful yeah. evening. Absolutely. Okay. I'm sure it'll be a success no matter who wins. We should also mention. Yeah? Hmm? Yes? I was going to say we should mention that uh, the um, Locus Awards nomination uh, yes. period is still open. It is, it is indeed. It actually closes April fifteenth at midnight. I think Another week. midnight. So yeah, yeah it's it's wrapping up. Um, we're coming close to homing in on who is actually going to win, but there is still time. So if you haven't voted yet, go yes. to locusmag.com. There's a link, and tell us what you think because that's that's what it's there for. So and I, I like to just say, having seen previous years. Uh, Ballots because I've said you, know, you publish the the, the figures. Mm. Um, single votes or single small groups of votes can really influence the final shortlist yep. in many many ways. So don't think that oh well it's getting towards the end of the period. Lots of people have, have nominated and voted. Um, you really can change it. And if you care, if you really if you care enough to you know about this, then this is your chance. This is one of your chances to do it. Get in there and nominate and have your say. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. Right. So, and then, come, and then come to the Locus Awards in Seattle if you can, because they're really fun. Connie Willis is fantastic, and it's its own little. I'm going to just plug shamelessly here. It's its yeah. own little mini convention with. It'll have a reading and a party and a couple panels and a signing and books will be available and then there'll be a banquet. And another party, and so it's um, and it's right across the street from the Science Fiction Museum. If you haven't been there, they're just about to launch a new exhibit there, and 
Um, so it's a great time to be in Seattle in June. Yep. So yes, absolutely should make it if you can. Yes. Okay. Well, on that cheery note, thank, plug you. Them. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for Are joining you? us, Liza. I'm oh, sorry. No, before, no, do you have something oh, first, Gary? There's another month. There's another month and a half, I think, for the public nominations for World Fantasy Awards. Oh yes, right. which will be in Toronto in um, at the end of October again. Which and you'll be Toastmaster I'll, at. I'll be Toastmaster at that. Uh, our friends John Cluth and Elizabeth Hand will be guest of honor. The theme is the Northern Gothic, and uh, everybody who wants to promote their favorite books, friends, or magazines, or whatever. For uh, for that award, that award is interesting because it's it's a half juried award and half popular award. I think two items on each segment of the ballot are there by popular vote, so you, you your nominations can actually help get something on the ballot for that as well. And that that I believe is the end of May. I'd have to look yeah. it up. Yeah. I have to say I haven't bought my membership to that yet, Gary. Can you like help me out? Can you sneak me in? Given that you're the you know Toastmaster, um, you must have like I mean just in case I, they I, run out. I'm getting such a luxurious room. I can have dozens of people in it. <laughs> I don't want to be in your room. Ew. Oh, sorry. Okay. I just want to get in. Because <laughs> these things sell out. I've already. I mean, Brighton's two thirds sold out already. I've got ticket. I got membership for that, but I haven't got my, my membership for Toronto yet. Oh, you need to get membership for Toronto. The first membership for Brighton because when I bought it, they still had their PayPal thing thanked me for buying the previous ticket for the previous convention. Oh, yeah. Yep. I'd run. Ooh. <laughs> like, oh, I think I might be the first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can say, yes, I, I really have to get on with buying my Toronto membership. Otherwise, I'll be one of those sad people sitting in the bar going, oh, I should have bought my membership earlier. Yeah, all right. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, as I was saying, on that cheery, happy note, thank yeah. you so much for joining us this morning, Liza. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk to you guys and uh, and to listen to the podcast when I'm not able to be on it. So. And Gary, Gary, I think we're about to have a weekend off. This is number 97, and I'm going this away. I'm off on holidays. What are you guys going to do for 100? I don't know. Have you got oh, any ideas? Got, tell us what to do, Eliza. We don't know. I will stump on it for you, but I don't, I've got nothing right now. But you should do something fantastic. We, we've got a Hugo nomination. Can't we just sort of skate on that? That's right. That's right. Worth thinking about Anyway. Digital champagne. I don't know. We'll think of something. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note... I will. I won't talk to you next week, Gary. We'll have a a lay no. day. But I will see you. I'll talk to you the weekend after. Have a wonderful holiday with your family. I will. I will. I will. I'm going to go away and email. Okay. Take care and farewell. Bye.